This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. Glad you could join us uh, for a few minutes this morning. Um, lots of stuff to get to this morning. Of course, you know, everybody wants to talk about March Madness. The field of 68 was announced yesterday, so we'll uh, we'll get to all that. Uh, coming up here in a few minutes, uh, we've got plenty of baseball news as uh, spring training got back to, I, I guess, what you would call normalcy yesterday. Uh, no more of the uh, uh, stupid rules, the shutting down innings and, you know, after a pitcher's thrown 20 pitches and, you know, they're going to start playing nine innings and we're going to get back to some sense of normalcy as far as baseball goes because, it's been, some of this stuff has just been really odd. I mean, I, I guess I understand why, but uh, it's odd. We're going to talk about all that coming up in a minute as well. Um, so let's uh, before we get to sports this morning, I got my uh, vaccine this morning or no, it's morning Saturday morning. I got my first shot. I got the uh, Pfizer vaccine. Interesting setup the way they did it here uh, in Middletown. It's um, being run, it's it's a drive-through. I literally never had to get out of my car. Uh, you drive. I, I had made an appointment ahead of time through the CDC, um, uh, the vaccine management system. It's VAMS, and it was at Wesleyan University. It was literally a half a mile from where I live. You drive up there. They have uh, the National Guard is there running the whole thing, and so you drive in. They have the cone set up and. You know, you've already filled out paperwork online. You've, you know, registered for everything. So you literally go up, you give them your name, you show them your ID, your insurance card. Um, and by the way, you don't even need your insurance card. They ask if you have it with you. It's not even necessary, but, you know, uh, they ask if you have it anyway. So, and, and I did. But so you give them that, and then they put a, like a little thing on top of your car. Some people didn't fill the stuff out ahead of time, so you get one color. And but if you've got everything filled out, you got you get another color. So then you get in line, and you literally just sit in your car until you get up to the booth, and uh, somebody coming out, uh, you know, whether it's a nurse or a doctor, whoever it is that's been authorized to give these injections, comes up to your car. They ask you a couple of questions, and boom, that's it. You know, you get the needle. You, they hand you a, a little sticker that says you got your vaccine. My wife said, "You going to put that on?" I said, "No." Uh, and then, uh, they give you a card with your, uh, you know, the date of it. And then they tell you, Hey, you know, make an appointment, come back in three weeks done. I mean, I was, and then, but they do make you, uh, after you've had the vaccine, they make you pull up into another area with your car and sit there for 15 minutes just to make sure that nobody has any adverse reactions. Cause there's been a few people that have had some allergic reactions and they've had to, uh, use an EpiPen or whatever, but, and they tell you, you know, you sit in your car, 
if you feel anything at all, whether it's your heart racing, any shortness of breath, anything that doesn't feel normal, lay on your horn until somebody comes. So, you know, I mean, you know, obviously I didn't have any trouble and that was that. I mean, it was super easy. Um, and uh, I already made my second appointment. It's not quite in three weeks. The closest was like three and a half weeks, but whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, I had a sore left arm that night. It actually kept me up. You know, I had a little trouble sleeping. I won't, you know, I'm not going to lie because I'm a side sleeper and I usually, you know, and I move a lot during the night and every time I rolled over onto that left side, it hurt. Uh, so it woke me up. So I didn't get a great night of sleep. And, and I, and I also have to admit, I didn't feel right the next morning. I mean, I just felt off, if that makes any sense. I mean, I wasn't I wasn't sick. I didn't have a fever, nothing like that. I just didn't feel right, you know, and, uh, you know, maybe uh, felt a little bit nauseous. But then I went out for a walk. I just went out and got some fresh air. I walked, I don't know, about a mile and a half. And uh, it was a crisp day. It was in the mid-40s. I went out and got a walk, and, and I felt much better after that. Took a couple of Advil for the pain in my show, my um, my left arm, and that was that. So, piece of cake. So, uh, you know, if you're worried about it, don't be. I mean, it really wasn't a big deal. If, if a sore left arm is, you know, the, the price that we have to pay, then that's the price that we pay. You know, uh, we're getting there. You know, and I saw Dr. Fauci this morning. There was a thing on the news, and... You know, he, he, he makes a good point. Everybody is rushing to open everything up, and we're all excited about it, which is great. But he said this is like being in a football game, and you're going in for a touchdown, and you spike the ball on the five-yard line and still, instead of waiting until you cross the goal line, you know. Uh, so there's no question that there is there is a piece of that, and, and I do worry that, that we're rushing to do things, but, you know, I, nobody asked me. So, and, and nobody's going to ask me. All right, let's get to sports. Uh, the NCAA tournament, the UConn Huskies, of course, what everybody here in the Northeast excited about. Um, the number seven seed in the NCAA tournament. And I'll tell you, I mean, the thing, you look at it, uh, New England not well represented in the NCAA basketball tournament. We got UConn, and we have the University of Hartford. That's it. Um, so, you know, there's no, no BC, no BU, no Northeastern. There's nobody else from the Northeast or at least from New England. You know, we have Iona, which is almost in New England. It's in New York, but just over the line, but, uh, and, and Syracuse, but there's not uh, a lot of Northeast participation in the NCAA tournament, but UConn, a seven seed and everybody was all wrapped up in whether, well, is UConn going to get a seven? Are they going to get an eight? They're going to, who cares? Get in the damn tournament. You know, you haven't been in the tournament since 2016. Who cares which one you get? Well, it turned out they did okay, considering that UConn lost in the Big East uh, semifinals on Friday to Creighton. By the way, a game that UConn had a chance to win. I mean, they had a six-point lead with uh, three and a half minutes to go and went absolutely ice cold. They had a couple of good looks in the ba- at the basket in the last 10 seconds, couldn't get a shot to drop. That's a game they could have won. And it was probably more maddening for UConn the next day when they saw the number eight seed Georgetown beat Creighton in the Big East Championship game and not just beat him, beat the hell out of him. Beat him by 15, and it wasn't close. You know, so if, and UConn had just schooled Georgetown that week. So you had to believe it was a little bit more frustrating for UConn uh, to watch that. But, you know, it is what it is. 
Uh, now you're in, and you get to play the University of Maryland in the first round. You know, and you'll look at it, and, and people will say, well, you know, all right, Maryland's not that great. But let's remember, Maryland plays in the Big Ten. That is not um, a small feat to play there. Um, you know, one of the things that UConn will like is uh, that Maryland does not shoot the three well. They do not like to get up and down the floor. They aren't a great scoring offense. So that, that will play right into UConn's hands in terms of the pace of game. No question about it. Maryland was 16-13, and 13, but, uh, folks, they beat Illinois, one of the top five teams in the country. You know, they had some good wins this year. You know, and they had to, you know, they had to play Michigan. You know, they had to play Michigan State. They had to play Ohio State. They That is a bitch of a league. And Maryland, you know, held its own. They went 9-11 and 11 in the Big Ten. The Big Ten has eight teams in the tournament. Eight. But having said all that, I still think this is a good matchup for UConn. I think this is a... Uh, a winnable game for UConn. I think they should win it. By the way, uh, seven seeds beat ten seeds 60% of the time in the history of the NCAA tournament. So the odds are in UConn's favor. If they get by Maryland, they would have a tough matchup in the second round. They would have to play the number two seed in the East region, and that's Alabama. Now, there's no, you know, they're, they're, this is going to be interesting. Rick Pitino is back in the NCAA tournament. Rick Pitino is the coach at Iona. Iona was held to playing just 17 games this year because of uh, COVID problems. You know, and I think they went into their tournament as like a seven seed or something because they hadn't played a lot of games. And then they rolled through the MAC tournament. So. Uh, Iona has to play Alabama in the first round. A 15 seed playing a two seed. You wouldn't think that they would win that game, but I would not count out Iona making, you know, a shocker here. Now, the thing with Alabama, Alabama uh, loves to shoot the three. They do it well. They love to get up and down the floor. It's going to be a tough matchup for Iona. But if... Can you imagine, boy, how funny that would be if they pull a big upset and then UConn uh, rolls into uh, uh, the next round having to play Iona. They'd be very happy about that. A lot of people think UConn is a Sweet 16 team. I filled out my bracket, and I got them, I got them shocking a lot of people. I got them making the Final Four. Let's be honest. Uh, I think that's unlikely. But I have them beating Alabama in the second round. Then I have them playing Texas in the Sweet 16. Texas, the three seed in the region. I have them winning that game and then playing number one, Michigan, in the Elite Eight. I got them beating them and going to the Final Four. And look, you may, you know, you're probably going to ask what I'm smoking, and it's like I said, it's probably not likely, but here's what we know. James Booknight is one of the most exciting players in the country. If he is on his game and he is getting – help from guys like Tyrese Martin, Adama Sanogo, who has suddenly become, uh, this kid's a freshman, and he is, plays the middle like somebody who is a, you know, a senior. 
he has gotten much, much better in them. So if they're getting contributions from Tyrese Martin and Sonogo, and if R.J. Cole is able to go, I, I give UConn a chance to, to, to win some games. There's no question about it. The big question mark for UConn is going to be R.J. Cole. Um, in the game against Creighton, he had to sit out the final several minutes of that game, which, by the way, didn't hurt UConn's chances to beat Creighton. But late in the game, I think there was like four or five minutes to go, uh, he ends up going down to the floor, banging his head off the floor. He opened up a gash in his head they, you know, that they had to close, and he ended up with a concussion. So we don't even know whether he's going to be able to play on Saturday. Now, you would think he's going to have you know, a week to recover from this concussion, and we can only hope, if you're a UConn fan, that he can recover. Because it will be a much tougher matchup, even against the number 10 Maryland Terrapins, without R.J. Cole. He had been playing so well. What he and Tyrese Martin did down the stretch, once Booknight came back and the three of those guys all were playing together and playing better than they had all season, UConn's a scary team. But if Cole, if that concussion keeps him out, UConn, uh, that's going to be a much, you know, and, and frankly, if I find out R.J. Cole's not playing against Maryland, I might change my pick. Uh, you know, that that would be one without R.J. Cole. I'm not sure, you know, again, Maryland coming out of that big, the Big Ten with eight schools in the tournament, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, number one overall seed, as everybody knew it would be, is Gonzaga. They are trying to become the first team in 35 years to finish undefeated. 35 years. Um, they are the first team since Kentucky in 2015 to enter the NCAA tournament undefeated. So uh, the last team to, by the way, finish undefeated, we talked about 35 years. The last team to do it, Indiana. The 1975-76 season under legendary Bobby Knight. So it's been a long, long time. You know, and look, I expect Gonzaga. I have Gonzaga winning the whole thing. I have a Gonzaga Ohio State final. Yeah, I have Houston going all the way to the final four as well. Um, so, I think uh, Gonzaga's won every game this season by double digits, except for one, and the only one they didn't win double digits was when uh, Jalen Suggs, their great freshman, didn't play. So, and they've won over the last two seasons, Gonzaga's won 30 games in a row. Now you can say, well, that also means that they're ripe to lose, but I've watched them probably four or five times this season, you know, and I don't care, you know, people are going to say, well, their conference sucks. Well, you know, it's not the greatest. There's no doubt, but when they play against other top flight opponents, Gonzaga holds its own, so don't hold their conference against them. If you watch this team, I don't care who they play, they are really good. I mean, they opened the season by beating Kansas, one of the best teams in the state. They beat Iowa by 11. They beat Virginia by 23. Virginia was the number uh, was the no, is the number four seed in this tournament. They beat them by 23. So this is a very good Gonzaga team. So I think they win the whole thing. So uh, it all starts with the first four in. Those games will take place on Thursday. 
Um, you know, and it, it, they, the, those four teams or those four teams all get the right to play either Michigan or Gonzaga. Good luck, Appalachian State, uh, Norfolk, Mount St. Mary's out of the Northeast Conference, and uh, Texas Southern. So uh, Michigan and Gonzaga, the top two overall seeds in this tournament. Good luck. Uh, <laughs> great that you got in. Uh, here's your consolation prize. Thanks for playing our game. So that's where we're at as far as the NCAA tournament goes. There were some snubs. Louisville did not get in. A lot of people were surprised by that. There were people that were actually surprised that Duke didn't get picked as an at-large team. There was no reason for Duke to get into anything. They were 13-11, and 11 and they weren't good. You know, and they had to pull out of the ACC tournament. E- even you know, even if they had played, they were gonna. They weren't going anywhere. I was, you know, the fact that people were shocked. The only reason they're shocked is because of Mike Krzyzewski. Uh So uh, you know, you know, but the, Louisville was one that surprised me a little bit. Louisville finished, I think, fourteen and seven. I was a little bit shocked that they didn't get in. Uh, and then the NIT is uh, trying to fill out its field. Part of the problem is is that they had five teams, all from major conferences, uh, pass on invites, including Louisville, including Duke. They said no thanks. Um, the top four seeds right now in the NIT, it's only going to be 16 teams this year, and it's going to be all held in Texas. Uh, Colorado State, Memphis, St. Louis, and Ole Miss uh, are the top four seeds, and now the uh, NIT is scrambling to uh, to fill out the tournament since some of the teams that they've wanted to come uh, have passed. And look, the fact that they have to, you know, with with the COVID protocols being what they are, you have to go to Texas. Um, I am not at all surprised that there were teams that, that pulled out of this thing. You know, I mean, not at all surprised. And go to Texas, by the way, where, <laughs> where you don't have to wear a mask anymore. By the way, I'm going to be very curious what happens in the women's tournament. The women's draw is today. Uh, of course, UConn will be the number one overall seeder. That's what most people think. There are some people that think that Stanford uh, will jump UConn. I don't see it, but um, that draw will be today. But it's going to be very curious when you go to Texas to play in the women's tournament and there is no longer a mask mandate, will they keep the protocols in place. You know, now this may be something that's going to be mandated directly from the NCAA. And I have to be honest, I, I have not, uh, I've not looked into that, but I gotta, I gotta think that the NCAA is going to tell their schools to keep doing their thing. Um, you know, I mean, I, I would think, but I have not, I'll have to, I'll have to check into that today. So anyway, so that's where we're at as far as the NCAA tournament at all it kicks off on Thursday. And, uh, best time of the year and then we can all look at our brackets and there'll be one upset in the beginning you know Gonzaga will lose in the first round and then you know 80% of the brackets across the country will be blown to hell there's always one game uh, that shocks everybody I don't think we're going to see a 16 beat a one remember that when did that happen was it two years ago three years ago when University of Maryland Baltimore County beat Virginia in the first round the first time a 16 had ever beaten a one um, but I don't, I don't looking at the matchups this year, I don't see it, but then again, nobody saw UMBC coming either. So, uh, other coronavirus news, by the way, uh, they, uh, have been testing in major league baseball during spring training 
and talk about some positive news if you're a baseball fan. Uh, MLB ran over almost 15,000 samples last week. 14,704 to be exact. Of that number, there were only two positive tests. Two. That's a positivity rate of 0.01%. That is amazing. And since the games have started, there have only been 12 positive tests, nine for players, three for staff, of 44,000 tests during spring training. That's 0.3%. That's it. So whatever Major League Baseball is doing, is working. You know, the other part of this is, and, and it's part of the reason why here in the state of Connecticut, when they start playing college or high school sports in the spring, you're not going to mandate kids wear masks. You're outside, you know, so there's no question that that plays into it. And they said, even with major league baseball, even with intake before spring training even started, when they're first bringing the players in, um, they've run almost 50,000 tests since then. There's only been 27 positives. Uh, that have been spaced out over 17 teams. It's 0.5%. So that's great news. You know, it's great news that uh, if that trend continues and with the vaccines being what they are, uh, that we are going to be able to get through the Major League Baseball season without one COVID cancellation. That's my hope. If we can do that, because nobody's done that yet. I mean, well, you know, you could say the NFL did, but they had to postpone some games because of it. The NBA has called off games. The NHL has called off games. Nobody's been able to go through an entire season. So uh, MLB's got a chance. I mean, if these numbers continue and, uh, and with the president now saying that by May 1, he's opening up vaccines for everybody, that means that all professional athletes are going to be able to get them as well. And you would think that, uh, you know, it'll be it'll be. Mostly game over. I don't know how long the protocols will stay. They probably will stay throughout the entire season until it looks like uh, this thing is under control. But uh, great news, though. Two positive tests last week, 0.01%. Got to love it. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We've got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 30 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call here on a Monday morning. Uh, program note, we have a high school basketball coming up tonight, 7 o'clock start. Um, it is uh, Xavier is going to be hosting Hamden um, in a rematch of a game that was played earlier this season, a game that uh, uh, Xavier won uh, fairly easily. Set, well, not shouldn't say fairly easy. It was in overtime, but 79-72, they outscored uh, Hamden at the end of regulation and in the overtime to uh, take control of that game. So the game's 7 o'clock tonight. Next to last regular season game, uh, they'll play at hand tomorrow, and then the SEC tournament will start on Thursday. We will probably – we're not going to be able to bring you the first SEC tournament game because uh, we're committed to a game at Cromwell High on Thursday. Uh, but if Xavier hosts their second-round game, uh, we will bring you that here on Sports Country Radio. So stay tuned. You can check our uh, website. Uh, for information about that. Um, so Ryan Brazier has not thrown in a game for the Boston Red Sox this spring, and this is a guy that is supposed to be a key member of their bullpen, a guy that, by the way, over the last uh, three seasons, or last, well, last two seasons, really, no, last three seasons, 2018, 19, and 20, 
He's made 121 appearances for the Red Sox. The only player on this roster that's made more appearances than that as a pitcher is Matt Barnes, who has 156. Um, so it's been kind of curious that we haven't seen him. Now, he got to spring training late. He had some personal issues that he had to take care of. So he got there late, and we haven't seen him, and nobody's really said anything. Well, they finally did yesterday, and we come to find out that he has a fractured bone in his throwing hand, something that occurred during an off-season workout. Now, I don't know how you break, uh, how you do that during a workout, but uh, he fractured a bone below the pinky finger of his throwing hand. Um, and so they said it wasn't something that needed to be, that what didn't need surgery, but it happened in early December. This is, that's a, that's a long time for a bone to heal. You know, I mean, and I'm not saying the Red Sox aren't telling us the truth, but if it's a bone below your pinky finger, it happened in early December. That's three months ago. Jesus, people have come back from broken ankles faster than that. So, (laughs) so I'm just, you know, I'm not saying that the Red Sox are, you know, are peeing on our boots and telling us it's a rainstorm, but it takes three months for a, a, a bone. You know, now, you know, again, I'm not a major league baseball pitcher. I know there's a lot of uh, torque on the on the the hand when you're throwing a pitch. I get that, but it just seems I don't to me that just seems kind of excessive. So anyway, so they're saying that he may miss the start of the season. I would guess at this point it's almost a certainty he will miss the start of the season. He hasn't thrown one inning. We have two weeks left of spring training, so my guess is he doesn't uh, doesn't start the season with the Sox. So that probably is going to open up a spot for somebody like either uh, Colton Brewer or Austin Bryce to make the team. Uh, Garrett Whitlock, by the way, the kid that they got from the Yankees um, as a Rule 5 pick has looked really, really good. He pitched again yesterday through two innings. He did give up a couple of hits, but he struck out two, didn't walk anybody. He has been very impressive this spring. Um, this is a kid who had Tommy John surgery while he was with the Yankees, he had Tommy John surgery. He was pitching in double A back in 2019 and uh, had to miss all of last year. And the Yankees exposed him to the rule five draft. The Red Sox snapped him up. Great. It, it looks, they look like geniuses. Uh, I think this kid's got a chance to be a, uh, a very valuable member of that bullpen. Uh, a guy that I am worried about in the bullpen. And I know another guy that they got from the Yankees. And, you know, maybe the Yankees knew something here. Now, I know Adovino's price tag was a little high, and they were, the Yankees were trying to figure out a way to shed some salary. You know, and Adovino struggled last year with the Yankees. Um, so I, I get all that. But he's, he's a guy, when you watch him pitch, he seems to have really nasty stuff. Well, uh He's pitched now for the Red Sox this spring training twice. And he hasn't given up a run. But Jesus, yesterday, he in an inning and a third, he gave up three hits and he walked a guy. He didn't strike out anybody. He wasn't fooling anyone. And so I'm a little bit worried. I mean, Adam Montevino's a guy they're talking about maybe being the setup guy for Barnes. And I, and I know it's early, and i got to keep telling myself it's spring training, and he's only thrown three innings in spring training, 
But I'm a little worried about this guy and wondering if maybe the Yankees knew something. You know, maybe the Yankees just looked at his stuff and said, yeah, you know, uh, maybe, you know, maybe he has reached the end of the road. Now, Adovino's 35 years old. And it was just two years ago, well, three years ago, really, 2018, when he made 75 appearances for the Rockies. For the Rockies, pitching in Colorado, which is a nightmare for pitchers, and pitched to a 2-4-3 ERA and only gave up 41 hits in 77 innings. You know, And then the year after that, he comes to the Yankees in 2019 and pitches to a 1-9-0 ERA in 73 games and only gives up 47 hits in 66 innings. So let's look at last year as an outlier. He only pitched 18 in the third innings. He had one bad outing against Toronto. He gave up 12 runs last season. I think five of them were in one game in Toronto. So you take that away, he had a, he had a, he had a decent year, although the number of hits he gave up and his walk numbers were up. So... You know, did the Yankees know something? Did they see something? You know, here's the thing. I mean, the Yankees pitched him in 73 games. He pitched in 75 for the, the the Rockies the year before and 63 the year before that. You wonder if maybe there's just too many miles on that arm. You know, I don't know. Four times in his career, he's pitched 70 games. You know, so maybe, you know, I, I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. But Jesus, watching him yesterday was uh, maddening. I mean, he got out of it, but it was ugly. Uh, Nate Evaldi pitched yesterday for the Red Sox. was great for three innings. Ends up giving up four runs and seven hits in four innings of work. I mean, he gave up a, a solo home run in the third, which you don't worry about. He gave up three runs in the fourth. Now, I have to temper this with, you know, a couple of the hits that he gave up in the fourth inning that led to some runs were not hit very well. There were a couple of uh, pretty good rips, but there were two other hits he gave up that one was off the end of the bat and, uh, you know, kind of blooped its way out into left field. And uh, there was another one that wasn't hit especially well. So I have to, you know, there were pro- of the seven hits he gave up, probably three of them were, were well hit, including obviously the one that left the ballpark. Um, now, he hit triple digits ten times, by the way. So... <laughs> Velocity is not a problem, and he didn't walk anybody, which is another good sign. But he was, uh, you know, seven hits, four runs. He's, his ERA this spring is 10. Again, you don't worry about it until you get into the regular season, but uh, the velocity is certainly there. The only question now is is whether the uh, the movement will be there or not. Um, I'm, I'm not pushing the panic button on him yet simply because the velocity looks good. There hasn't been any issues about uh, any soreness, shoulder issues, arm issues, anything like that. And with Avaldi, who is uh, injury-prone, you do worry about that, no question. Uh, so we'll see as far as that goes. But uh, it definitely looks like Whitlock is going to make the, the Red Sox. I am very excited about that. By the way, Jeter Downs got hurt yesterday uh, in the Red Sox game. It, it appeared to be some kind of an oblique issue um, when he tried to make a diving play um, at short. The Red Sox also said that uh, Frankie Cordero... Uh, who has not played yet because uh, of the COVID-19 issues that he had, might get into a game this week. It is also very unlikely he will make uh, the opening day roster as well, simply because he's just going to be behind everybody else. So I think that's going to open the door, perhaps, uh, for a guy like Michael Chavis, who swung the ball well this spring. Christian Arroyo, by the way, the guy they have kind of 
penciled in to uh, be one of their second basemen. Hit another home run yesterday, his second one of the spring. Uh, he's hitting 348 this spring, so he has certainly uh, made his case. It was nice to see Rafi Devers swing the ball yesterday, uh, or I mean swing the bat well yesterday. He's only got you know, a 154 average this spring, uh, but he laid into one yesterday. It was an absolute missile to center field, uh, his second home run of the spring, so you certainly like to see that. So um, all things considered, I mean, the Red Sox only had five hits yesterday, and they got out of there with a 5-5 tie. Uh, not that it means a lot. Uh, how about this at bat yesterday in a spring training game? Luis Guillorme from the New York Mets was facing Jordan Hicks, the guy that throws like 105 miles an hour for the St. Louis Cardinals. A 22-pitch walk. 22 pitches. And what made this even more amazing was that he was down in the count 0-2. He, he, he took a took a strike on the first pitch, swung and missed at the second pitch. So you're two pitches into your at-bat, you're down 0-2. And then he hit 16 foul balls, nine of them in a row with a full count. And then finally walks on the 22nd pitch of the bat. The at-bat took 10 minutes. <laughs> 10 minutes. And Hicks was supposed to work an inning. He threw so many pitches to Guillaume that they took him out of the game. And, you know, there's that rule in Major League Baseball now where you're supposed to face three batters before you're allowed to be lifted from the game, the umpires, because it's spring training, waived that and allowed uh, Mike Schilt to move to take him out of the game after just one batter. That's a 22 pitches. By the way, since the since Major League Baseball started officially keeping track um, of pitches and bats, uh, they started that in 1988. Since they started keeping track of it, the longest at bat in a regular season game is 21 pitches, and that was between Brandon Belt and uh, Jaime Berea. Um, so this would have been a new record had it counted, but it was only spring training. But 22 pitches. Uh, as far as the game went, uh, the Mets and the Cardinals, uh, the, the uh, Mets won at 7-5. to five. If you're a Met fan, uh, David Peterson got the start yesterday. You're a little bit concerned here. Gave up four runs. Uh, five hits, couple of walks, only struck out one uh, in four innings. Uh, he is vying for one of the starting positions. Uh, Aaron Loop looked good out of the bullpen yet again. Corey Oswalt looked good out of the bullpen. Two scoreless innings, and he struck out five in those two innings. Uh, so that's a, a good sign for the Mets as well. Carlos Martinez got the start for the St. Louis Cardinals, and, and you know, it got roughed up a little bit, but 22 pitch at bat. That is absolutely amazing. Uh, the other big news out of spring training yesterday, Steven Strasburg had to leave his start with the Washington Nationals in the third inning because of an issue with his left calf. After the game, he said it's not anything serious. He said he just felt it grab a little bit. But again, if you're the Nationals, you're holding your breath because Strasburg's another one of these guys uh, that has had a number of problems. Of course, that right wrist, uh, he just had carpal tunnel surgery on, and you know he's had some other problems over his career, so that uh, makes you uh, hold your breath a little bit. But he said it was more a precautionary thing, just going to be a day-to-day -day thing. He's not too worried about it. 
so if you're if you're a Nationals fan, you're hoping that is actually the case. Uh, the Yankees yesterday uh, beat the Toronto Blue Jays five to one. The big news here: Davey Garcia, another strong appearance for the Yankees. This is a guy that's lobbying for a rotation spot. The young kid that came up last year made his debut through three innings yesterday. Only gave up one hit and one run, and the run he gave up was unearned. He struck out two. He walked two. He has looked really, really good. Uh, so that is a good sign uh, if you're a Yankee fan. Uh, Jay Bruce, who has uh, trying to get a spot on the roster, went 0 for 3 yesterday, but he's still hitting 333 this spring. So uh, you have to you have to like his chances maybe to uh, to make this roster. Uh, Gary Sanchez did not play yesterday, thank God, because we didn't have to hear about how much everybody loves Gary Sanchez. By the way, I was glad to hear I'm not the only one. I saw Paul Ajiri the other day at a uh, high school basketball game, and he's a Yankee fan. And we were talking about Sanchez, and he just was like, can we stop? Sanchez is just awful. And he's, you know, this is a guy who's a Yankee fan. I'm glad I'm not the only one that feels like just, you know, stop. Please. You know, they got this guy in the Hall of Fame simply because he's in New York. He's a stiff. I don't care how far he can hit the ball. 45 minutes past the hour. we got to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Let's try that. Well, let's try that again. I That was the interview I had queued up with Dan Zapano. Let's try that one more time. Um, all right. Uh, the other thing that uh, came out last week is Major League Baseball is going to be experimenting with a bunch of rules in, uh, in uh, the minor leagues this year. And uh, trying not, I'm trying not to sound like the grumpy old man. And, you know, Pete Abraham in the Boston Globe this weekend had an article and said, hey, look, the game has evolved over time. We need to stop whining about the changes to the game. Uh, I, I'm going to respectfully disagree with Pete on this one. I, I am not against some of the rule changes that they're coming up with. Uh, I am not. Let's be honest. Um, I think that uh, a pitch clock is overdue simply because human nature has changed the game. If you watch the old games, pitchers caught the ball, got the sign, threw the ball. It was a There was a rhythm. It wasn't like, you know, everybody's stepping out of the box, everybody's taking a walk around the mound, we're touching 87 parts of our uniform before we finally throw a pitch. All right, so that I'm okay with, all right, because to me that doesn't fundamentally change the game. That gets the game back to what it used to be. Uh, but they're talking about making the bases larger. Now, from 15 inches to 18 inches. So that's going to cut down about six inches on either side for stolen bases. How many stolen bases have we seen uh, change or, or, or be on, at a whisker? Now, you take six inches off of that, there's going to be a lot more stolen bases. They, taught, they did this in the Atlantic League. The number of stolen bases went up last year 70%. 70 percent. Seventy percent now if you love the stolen base that's great uh i suppose i could live with that one one of the dumbest things i've heard uh only allowing a pitcher to throw to first base twice in an at-bat that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard that's part of the cat and mouse game between a pitcher and a runner and a catcher that's just idiotic idiotic they do that shame on them um so that I am dead set against. Now, you know, this stuff that they're doing here with, with, the, uh, uh, with spring training, idiotic. 
if you're good enough to be at spring training and you have this many players at spring training, there's no reason why we have to stop innings after 20 pitches. There's no reason why we should be playing spring training games that are five innings. Knock it off. It's it's a joke. It's an absolute joke. Um, the shift rules, I have mixed feelings about. Uh, but here's what I will say about this. If you're going to stop allowing shifts, okay, Right now what they're doing is saying that the infielders have to have they have to be on the infield dirt. If you want to stop shifts or if you want to change and and the way the game has evolved with everything being strikeouts or home runs, it's been because of the shift. If you want to stop this, how about we get to the rule where we we mandate that there are two infielders on either side of second base. You have the shortstop in the left field or the third baseman on the left field side, second base, first base on the right field side. Because as Bill Madden in the New York Daily News pointed out, isn't that the way the inventors of the game actually designed it? So, you know, because theoretically you could still have, they could you could still have a shift. They just have to be on the infield dirt. You can't have a guy playing shallow right field, for instance, which is what we see a lot. We saw it yesterday in spring training games. Um, so if we're gonna if we're gonna try to do away with the shift, do away with it. Two guys on either side of the infield, boom, done. That's what I'd like to see. But some of the stuff that they're coming up with, we got to stop tinkering with the game. the The pace of play to me is the biggest thing. You know, even if it's strikeouts at home, look, even if you don't want to ban the shift, I could live with that, you know, because there's people saying, well, that would be like in football, you know, saying you can't bring an extra guy up in the box to try to stop the run. You know, you, you don't do that. You're not going to, you shouldn't tell them how they should coach the game. And, and I'll, I'll buy that. But the pace of play thing is the, is the part that absolutely has to be fixed. So I hope, I hope they, they manage that. Um, one of the quick note, uh, in baseball, uh, Nick Markakis retired this weekend, solid player, not a hall of famer by any means, but, uh, 15 years, 288 career hitter, um, over a thousand runs driven in almost 200 home runs, almost 2,400 hits. Um, by the way, you know, people will say, well, he's got two more, two more hits than hall of famer, Ryan Sandberg, different position, second base versus the outfield. Uh, Nick Markakis is not a Hall of Famer. He's in the Hall of Very Good, but a solid player in his years with the uh, Baltimore Orioles and uh, the Atlanta Braves. Three gold gloves, uh, made the All-Star team in 2018, uh, but a solid player, uh, hangs it up. Uh, Boston Celtics last night with an easy victory, as they should have had. Uh, They beat Houston. Uh, Houston has now lost 16 straight games. (laughs) And uh, the Celtics hung one on him yesterday, 134 to 107. Uh, Jalen Brown with 24, Jason Tatum with 23. Everybody played. Uh, Brad Stevens emptied the bench with about nine minutes to go. The Celtics were up by 32 with nine minutes left, and he played everybody. Uh, So that was good to see. Uh, Robert Williams, uh, 16 points, 13 rebounds off the bench. Kemba Walker, 16 points. just a, a solid all-around effort, but you know, and, and Celtics have won five out of six. Let's not get too giddy. It was the Houston Rockets, you know. So let's let's not get too carried away with uh, with that win. Uh, Drew Brees retired um, yesterday, and a guy that is the all-time leader in the NFL with over eighty thousand passing yards. Tom Brady will pass him 
this year with that, but so what? I mean, Drew Brees will be in the Hall of Fame in five years, 15 years with the New Orleans Saints after the Chargers decided that he was done. They drafted Phillip Rivers in the first round of 2004 after Brees' third season, and then Brees got hurt uh, at the end of 2005 and uh, when he dislocated his right shoulder. Chargers decided he was done and uh, let him go. And he signs with the Saints, lasted 15 years with the Saints, and uh, just revitalized that team. This is a team that uh, had one playoff win in its history before Drew Brees got there, and he turned them into perennial contenders. And, by the way, a first-class dude, first-class individual. Um, He was on the Today Show this morning, announced that he is actually going to be working for NBC um, as a football commentator, so uh, that's uh, pretty cool. Uh, Justin Thomas wins the Players' Championship yesterday, fires a 468 uh, with a one-shot victory over Lee Westwood. The 47-year-old Westwood uh, backup uh, or uh, runner-up finishes in each of the last two weeks. Uh, Martin Truex wins the NASCAR race yesterday. Middletown's Joey Logano finishes second. And uh, a sad note, uh, Marvin Hagler passed away unexpectedly this weekend, 66 uh, it appears he had a heart attack. He said there was a shortness of breath and chest pain, so it sounds like a heart attack. 66 years old, died at his uh, home in New Hampshire. Uh, one of the greatest middleweight fighters in history. 63 wins, or 62 wins, three losses, and two ties. Uh, his final fight lost a controversial split decision to Sugar Ray Leonard, one of my favorite boxers of all time. Um, Leonard never really hurt him, but he outpointed him and uh, won the split decision. Uh, Hagler got $19 million for that fight, by the way, and that was it for him. He never fought again. Uh, Sugar Ray Leonard tried to get him to, uh, uh, t- to fight him again. And he said, nah, tell him to get a life. Perhaps the greatest fight in Hagler's history, though, uh, was when he fought Tommy Hearns. Tommy Hearns was uh, a, oh, my God. He, Tom Hearns was a great fighter, and Marvin Hagler just annihilated him, stopped him in the third round. Just, I mean, just crushed him so uh and and by the way marvin Hagler, uh not just again just like drew Brees, um uh, not just a great fighter not just a great athlete a good a good man so uh, marvin Hagler passed away at the age of 66 that's going to do it for us here this morning we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up call we leave you this morning with uh, some music from taylor swift who won album of the year the third time Uh, that she has done that. She's the first female artist to ever win Album of the Year three times at the Grammys. Uh, Here's her song, Betty. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.